Speak seductively. Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Cannon, erotic fiction author, naturist, and swinger. And I'm Lily Cannon, book cover model, audiobook narrator, naturist, and swinger. And you're listening to the Speak Seductively podcast. I have an erotic fiction series called The Photographer's Story and over 15 erotic novellas on Amazon. Two themes in my work are the promotion of a sex-positive lifestyle and the development of strong, sexually confident female characters. My writing has been described as slow foreplay, building until the reader is breathless with need. You can find my novels and short stories on Amazon. They're all free with Kindle Unlimited. We want to welcome you to another exciting and informative edition of Speak Seductively. We use this platform to promote other authors, talk about sex and relationships. Please be aware, we will be discussing adult topics from sex to the swinging lifestyle and more. Our approach is always classy, but be ready for frank conversations. Our guests are frequently erotic authors or those in the lifestyle. Welcome to Speak Seductively. If you were listening and would like to support us, please follow the link to make a donation. Our goal is to bring better quality and more guests. Your support always helps. Hi, everyone. This is Kyle Cannon. I want to welcome you to another episode of Speak Seductively. Unfortunately, you're only going to hear my voice from this end as my lovely co-host Lily is currently at her day job, but I'm honored to have uh, a fantastic author with me today. Um, I'm going to admit that I've only gotten about a third of the way through his, uh, the novel that we're going to talk about today, A Thread of Sand, and I'm absolutely fascinated by it. Um, I, I told Lily last night, I need to set some time aside uh, to, to actually sit and read, which unfortunately there just isn't enough time in the day to do that. But let me introduce everyone to uh, Jerry Souter. And Jerry, I'm wondering if you could give us a, a little bit of background about yourself. Oh, I, I could probably talk about myself all day, but uh, anyway, yeah, well, I'm uh, actually a student of the Art Institute of Chicago and University of Chicago. My preschool days were spent uh, uh, trying to stay out of trouble. I was in the Merchant Marine and uh, uh, numerous other things like that, but I was doing photography and I got excited about it, especially freelance photography. and. Uh, managed to get myself some jobs at the uh, newspaper down in Yuma and shot pictures down there. And they sent the pictures along up to the Chicago Tribune, which hired me back here to Chicago, my home stamping grounds. And uh, so I branched off from there and shot for them for a while and then got into filmmaking and documentary film work. And then uh, it, it just kept going like that, one thing after another, one job led to something else. I got into video then with an outfit uh, called uh, Motivation Media here in right next door to Chicago. And they had me doing uh, commercial bits and then finally started to send me overseas a lot. That's what Motorola used me for as an international photojournalist. So I've traveled to most of the countries in the world, around it at least once. And uh, when I got back finally the last time, I really got tired of lugging all that camera gear and pushing crews through uh, customs and this sort of thing. And it gets old after a while. So I thought a tablet and a pencil is a lot easier deal. And my captions have been getting fatter and fatter anyway. So I said, well, let's get into writing. 
So that, that started that, and I started writing full-time in 1997, and as of right now, I have uh, 56 uh, traditionally published nonfiction books out there, histories, fine arts, um, uh, auto racing, um, oh, military, you name it. And uh, so that, and I have this one uh, novel, my first novel, which is A Thread of Sand, which we are talking about today. So uh, I, I'm going to back up a little bit uh, because I, I want the listeners to know when I read through your, your uh, biography on your website, I was amazed at, at your depth of experience and knowledge, and it, ref, it was reflected in the book. So um, when you talk about traveling with the Merchant Marine, you're well-traveled. You've been pretty much all over the world. Yeah, I've uh, seen the owl and heard the elephant. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that's true. The, the nice thing about it is that I, I have an endless amount of material to draw from. And uh, the I'm work now working with Rick Savage to do the sequel to Thread mm -hmm. of Sand. And that takes, my sequel takes place in Paris, works its way through to the Mediterranean, to Algeria and uh, Toulon on the Mediterranean, and she's involved in a motorboat race. And so there's all sorts of things. I can take Julia Carstairs, my, my lead character in Thread of Stand, and resurrected her into this whole new character. She's also an absent alcoholic at this time. And uh, so she brings a lot of baggage with her to Paris when she eventually comes from Egypt and the experiences that she had. You, you gave her a lot of baggage before she ever got to Egypt. <laughs> yeah, she really is a pretty strong porter. Um, she, she's a fascinating character. Oh, I, I fell in love with her. She's a combination of two or three women that I've met overseas. And uh, it's it was, I, I was able to put together a fairly decent composite. And the, uh, the romance stuff is of course strictly out of my imagination. <laughs> So, since, my, since my wife is standing nearby here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll warn you if she comes up behind you. Cool. <laughs> no, uh, so you, you set the story in the um, 1890s, and you've got a strong female lead. I, I know from reading your description and where your, your character development came from, but I, I'm wondering if you could explain to uh, the listeners how you came about the, with the idea of developing a strong female lead and basing that in the 18, in the 1890s? Well, part of it was me and part of it was uh, Rick Savage uh, at BVS uh, Books. Uh, I had sent him the manuscript first and then he came back and he said, you know, this needs more romance. It sounds like a boy's adventure book right now. And he said, <laughs> you need more women. You need more something going on here. And so I took the manuscript back and I, then I created her from, uh, like I say, I traveled through Scotland and I'm Scottish by, by uh, <laughs> toss of a coin. And uh, so it's, she was really the, uh, this amalgam. I, I didn't want her to be like uh, uh, the uh, crypt robber uh, one that uh, jumps all over the place, but yeah, she yeah. is a, fortunately has some skills uh, but she learns later <laughs> really necessary skills of survival once she gets to the United States and before she ever gets to Egypt. But I loved her. I loved her 
She's beautiful. She's half American, half British, and she's competent and best of all, she's an excellent artist and she's already started to sell paintings using her initials as the, as the, mm -hmm. as the uh, illustrator rather than her name because women in the turn of the century, they had no standing whatsoever. And that's one of the reasons I liked that particular era everywhere from about 1890 to World War One. It's fascinating. It's a golden era and its changes are taking place and she just absolutely fits it like a glove. Yeah, I, I think um, I I would say I'm not nearly the student of history that you you are apparently from having read your book, but that is a fascinating time in history because society and culture was changing uh, at, at such a rapid clip. It's it's amazing to go back and look at it. And research, it's very hard. To, one thing that is getting uh, slang for that period of time. Uh, and a lot of other little elements in there. You've really got to dig deep to see where things were a little bit different and what things were called a little bit different. And uh, especially when I got into the uh, the Arab characters later on that are in the, in the book, the uh, the girls that she meets, the New Orleans girls she meets at the dig. And, uh, and after that, the Tuareg princess uh, that she meets after that. And... Uh, on the way through the rest of our adventures. And there's, it's just a wonderful meld how these three people all get together. And that it's, it's, it's a very uh, diversity oriented book. <laughs> it, and I think it would look good on a Me Too sign as well. So there. <laughs> as I, you know, as I said, when, when I was doing the lead in, um, I, I'm trying to work reading the book into my, my days. And I started and got to a point where I couldn't put it down. And my wife was like, you know, you need, you need to get some sleep. But um, one of the things that I love about it is, is your, your depth of detail. And a question I wanted to ask is, is how much research did you put in before you started pen to paper or digital? Well, the one, one year uh, recently we went to, we went to Paris. Uh, my wife and I, and then after that, uh, we uh, headed for Egypt, and so I spent quite a bit of time in Egypt and on camels and uh, trekking across the desert and uh, in archaeological digs, which is a kind of a small hobby of mine. I kind of learned to enjoy those when I was freelancing and discovered an awful lot of, of stuff there and people that, uh, again, I recognized and could, could use later, but I wasn't thinking, of course, when I was in uh, in Egypt of doing a book. It's only later that I started to remember, oh yeah, that was so-and-so. Mm -hmm. And especially that the British couple, uh, they're, uh, they're kind of a catalyst uh, to introduce her as well, to talk about her life and everything on the train while she's in going to Egypt instead of starting out with her life and going the uh, normal way, uh, one thing after another. So it, it actually gave me a lot of, uh, of freedom to be able to uh, put together a story that would keep the pages turning. I also did a lot of newspaper writing. So my, my style is, uh, I ain't pokey when I'm writing. I, I, I move right along. Mm -hmm. and the book does too. I'm surprised when I, I'm trying to find something in it and I'm looking toward the middle and I find, oh God, that's almost <laughs> 10 pages in from the beginning. <laughs> So yeah, it has. It builds along. It it goes along at a great clip, and I, 
I enjoy that. It gives me a chance to uh, to build the characters and to to uh, you get the, there's little humor bits in it as well. And if I didn't have that, I'd go mad. So I think uh, that's about my early part of this part of the story about the book. I, I and, and no, I'm not saying this is empty praise at all. But in reading the book. There's a there's a fine meld of dialogue, and as you said, you move the characters along, while at the same time developing the characters. And it's I've read books where an author spends a chapter doing character development, and I'm bored by the end of the chapter. But you you you're mixing that in as you go through the book. It's it's really pretty good. Well, the thing too is on your research on book like this is a little different from one on, uh, say, the our book on the Constitution or the founders of the country or even our World War II books that we've done, uh, because it's especially the when you get into erotica. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, and uh, when I got into that, and that was another suggestion of Rick's, you know, make it a little spicy. I said, okay. We'll take it out of the Boy Scout yearbook and see if we can't get into the mainstream. But in order to do that, I had to kind of get the, uh, you remember too much yourself and it gives you a cold sweat. So uh, I went the cheater's way out and I brought a wonderful book called How to Write Erotica by Valerie Kelly. Mm. And she kind of just, I, I didn't slavishly use her stuff, but it, it, her writing about these things and, and words that you don't normally use in, in uh, regular conversations, but she uses, she tosses them off like crazy. So I thought, okay, this opens the door. <laughs> so now I can write an erotica book and uh, be perfectly comfortable with it. And, uh, and the, sequel to the sequel to this book has a, it's a little bit longer and it's got, it's got more love scenes in it. And mm -hmm. uh, those are, they're really kind of fun and, uh, it's just a matter of uh, getting things right. There's nothing better, nothing worse than trying to write erotica and getting the parts mixed up. <laughs> or forgetting where they go. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was talking to, another ero uh, to an erotica author a few weeks ago, and we started joking about if you're doing an incredibly complex scene, Sometimes you have to take a step back and mentally picture. Now, what did I do with their bodies, and is that actually physically possible? <laughs> I find out you've misplaced a left leg or something. It, it, yeah, I know it, it's, that. Doesn't it gets it gets kind of terrible sometimes. But uh, on the if you do it right, uh, I think it, by the by the end of the scene, uh, if they're lighting two cigarettes, you are too. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that works great. None of my people smoke, of course, but uh, no, actually they do. It's, the boys, the guys smoke pipes. That was very popular at the turn of the century. Doesn't uh, Julia smoke the little cigarillos? Ah, uh, those little cigarillos of hers. Yeah, yeah, she was smoking those on the train, and, uh, and yeah, she 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 cooks up one of those once in a while, especially when she meets the the New Orleans girl um, at the dig, the intern, the first one to seduce her. <laughs> one, of, one of the things that I'm enjoying about the book is, is how period accurate your descriptions are uh, of the, the characters, the dialogue, and, and the setting. And then you look at, at Julia, and, and if you know something about that 
period in history, you'd know that she's a standout. She she's different from most the way most women would have been in that time period. Well, I wanted to establish the fact that when she was growing up in uh, in Great Britain and part of the social circle there, being a being a, actually Lady uh, Lady Julia Carstairs, Countess of Ashford, mm -hmm. uh, in, in a in a peer family, that uh, a she had uh, her and her mother were very close, and her mother was a painter, and she was kind of restricted to the. Uh, uh, painting on uh, enameled cups and uh, you know, a little tactical painting in those days. Right. But she turned, she did give the gift to uh, Julia and encouraged her. And she was also, it was kind of like uh, Winston Churchill's American wife. She pushed him continually. <laughs> so did this, so did, um, did uh, uh, Julia's. And and there was no problem with uh, eventually her, her leaving because uh, her mother, they both had this disease and it's an unnamed disease, but it left uh, Julia uh, unable to bear children. And that had a two-edged sword, two sword effect in that uh, she had, didn't have to worry about birth control. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it, it put her outside of her social circle at the period of time where women are brought up in these big families, royal families, uh, peer families, to go out and snag a good husband. And that was the whole point of all of these balls and cotillions and everything like that. So she was always kind of on the outside because the uh, the girls were being pushed out there as breeders and then these right. stag husbands uh, potentials were the ones that ring to the dance floor to see what they can scout out from the uh, the bunch walking on the other side of the room. Well, and at that level in society, marriage was really a, a business arrangement. Oh, yeah. They, the mutton, especially the husband had to have the loot. Mm -hmm. But once the women had the loot, the minute they married the husband, that it belonged to him. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of tough. So she just decided she was going to get out of that whole loop. And uh, uh, when her mother passed away from the same disease she had, uh, she thought, well, nothing is holding me here. And her, her father gave them his blessing. And uh, off she went to the United States to study art at the Art Institute in Chicago. But uh, that was too dull for her. So out west she went. That was a, another thing about her character and her family. Um, as I'm reading, I'm seeing that her, she was fortunate that her father was, I don't know if indulgent is the right word for it, but uh, tolerated her eccentricities more than other families might. Well, if you notice, I also put a son. He had a son in there mm -hmm. that was uh, Tarleton, and he would he was the, he was the only one that could inherit the uh, the uh, uh, fortune if the old man died. So, uh, but he did have a son that he could uh, it would throw out of the way because all she was all she was was trouble and uh, another mouth to feed for him, but he loved her and uh, gave her his blessing all the way to the fact of assigning that uh, Arizona Ranger through, through uh, the detective agency to keep an eye on her while she was in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's kind of what unleashes part of the events that happened afterwards too in Chicago. So uh, it was it was an interesting relationship, and everything kind of dovetailed into the other. 
It is interesting how, how everything pulls together in the book. Um, the 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 uh, subplots weave together very nicely. Yeah, well, you try to do that because it's uh, everything isn't all rosy, but especially if when she got herself really badly in trouble and ended up spending a year in a Texas brothel as an inmate and selling her services for $4. Uh, that was kind of a bad time for her. Mm -hmm. But eventually the Arizona Ranger caught up to her after she ducked him out in Chicago. I, I was curious about that point in the book. Why did you leave that her character in the brothel as long as you did? Well, because I had to give her time to get to, to, to grow a little husk. Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to, to uh, uh, she, she made some friends there. She, she uh, was, was, couldn't, there's no place to go out in the middle of Texas. She couldn't run away. And so she had to make the best of it. And that was kind of a character broadening bit in there, although the, the, the horror of it was pretty bad because they, uh, she had to deal with the other girls there and she was really a different animal than most of the girls that were in the brothel. Uh, but uh, she she labored through that. And then when she's captured by that ranger, he had to, like they say, scrape the whore off of her and, and turn her around into something else at his sheep ranch in Monument Valley, which is another place uh, I've been all over. So I knew that place and the Pueblo Indians that lived there. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful area, beautiful part of the country. I was, as I as I read that um, that that section, it seemed that she needed to go through that to rub off to to wear away the aristocratic veneer that she was walking around with, and she came out of it. It, it was a horrible situation, but she came out of it a much stronger person. Well, that's one of the reasons I started the book with her waiting for her her uh, ranger guy to come back from a long time. He would be away a long time trailing, tracking outlaws for the rangers. And I started it out with her in, in anticipation of him showing up and her kind of abusing him of all of the things that she, she, she knew now how to do. She could uh, put up the vegetables and, 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 uh, and food. She could shoot. She could ride. She, could, she had to take care of the, the two dogs, dog and other dog. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, and uh, she actually, he, he taught her how to survive, and he gave her that uh, nickel-plated uh, Colt Lightning revolver, mm -hmm. and that even figures in the sequel. Oh, well, it, it, that's the same revolver she used to, uh, uh, I'm trying not to give away too much. <laughs> okay, well, which one? That's the same revolver she used when... Uh, she was chasing off the the uh, kidnappers, potential kidnappers, when they were heading up the Nile, I believe. Oh, is this is it that when they were at the uh, at the dig? Uh, I it was it was before so that. She, was, she uses it sooner. Stop. She uses it with the kidnappers. Yeah, attempted mm -hmm. kidnappers. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, and uh, eventually her her I kind of weave her past life into her present one as she's telling different people about things that she knows about. And, uh, and that's how you kind of find out about it instead of trying to encapsulate it all in one clump mm -hmm. uh, up near the front. Why it, it adds 
kind of texture to the story as we go through a bit at a time, we find out what this girl actually had gone through to put her into the position she is now. And so I'm, I'm kind of happy about that. And when I was in England, uh, I met Princess Anne uh, at the Highland Games. And uh, I was there about three weeks in London uh, on this documentary. And I learned so much about British culture and uh, the uh, difference in class between the peers and the, the ordinary folk. And it was, an, it was really a revelation. So uh, I, was, I was very happy for that. That adds a, a real layer in there. I, I, another layer that I would get into, you, you bring in real history, but you also bring in uh, uh, characters who are actually contemporary. So Winston Churchill, makes an appearance in the book. Um, how difficult was that for you to pull those things in and meld your fictional characters with reality? Well, I'll tell you, frankly, uh, Winston, uh, he dropped out of the sky like a flying saucer. Um, I'd written, read a book about him sometime, his biography, autobiography, and he mentioned the time that he was in the Sudan. I thought, I wonder what the dates are for him. Well, now you know what the dates were for him. And he was a member of the 21st Lancers, and that was the, they're the ones that made the famous chain charge at Omdaman and uh, lost half of their people, but uh, did the job. And it was it was a uh, a wonderful revealing thing. So I just all I did was turn around and make him uh, a classmate of uh, Julius back in London. Their ages would be perfect for that. Yeah, so I, I, everything was natural. I, I, I thought that was that was interesting. It added a added another level to the story that I, I found amusing. <laughs> yeah, he well he was an amusing guy. That was another thing. It does add a, a certain comic uh, relief to the end because the uh, when he was with over there with the British, why they they were he was there kind of as a journalist and as a uh, as a soldier, a subaltern with the uh, with the British twenty uh, first uh, Lancers, and he uh, they they that's the first thing they did when they got him got him over there because he was such a pest was uh, put him in charge of the burial details. So he spent most of his time in front of Omdurman burying Arab dead. Well, he, that's not exactly his cup of tea. So. When this uh, patrol came along, he grabbed it. No, I don't want to say more about it than that. <laughs> so um, you've got a sequel in the works. I know you mentioned you were working on that with Rick. Um, uh, do you see something beyond that? Where Where are you taking Julia? Where do you see her well, life? Okay, I can tell you that. It's a, after the one, this next one. Yeah, like I say, I'm today, uh, actually, uh, today is what, uh, Wednesday? Yeah. Yep. Wednesday, Savage and uh, his people are getting together to discuss uh, what publishing deal they're going to give me on uh, on my uh, the sub the uh, sequel here. The title of it is Mademoiselle Pistolet. That's P I S T O L E with a over it T, which is French for pistol, of course. And uh, she has that's her name in Paris. She she comes to there. Uh, really in a miserable condition because uh, she's not been able to connect with her uh, the, the lieutenant that she met in Egypt 
And the story has to go from that point then uh, to her whole new life that she creates for herself. And it's a, it's a life that I think you'll like it even, uh, even more uh, than, the, uh, than the original Julia, because it has so many more facets to it. So is the, uh, is the title a giveaway that she's going to be using her uh, cult lightning once or twice? <laughs> well, I would say, yeah, um, her, that's where she, she gets the nickname over there uh, through, an, through an incident that a press photographer happens to see. And uh, they identify her by that name. And uh, so she hangs on to it. But another thing she does do, she, she gets into uh, absinthe, you know, the uh, A-B-S-Y-N-T-H, mm -hmm. the green licorice kind of liqueur that's actually kind of a narcotic. And she becomes kind of an alcoholic to that because she has a hard time sleeping at night, the, the, being buried in the tomb it's baggage that she brought with her and it's something that she can't shake and, and she's faced death so many times at the hands of the dervish, at the hands that are in that tomb, uh, kidnappers, all of the things that and you just don't shrug those experiences off. No, they start to build up over time. Yeah, well, she hasn't been, she has kind of a PTSD to that particular uh, era in her life and can't shake it. And so she adopts this character that she has suddenly become like the toast of the Moulin Rouge. Mm -hmm. And that, that goes into two other things that she gets into an auto race and a boat race. And those are kind of fun. And then I'm taking it out of that. Eventually we will get to early World War One, which would be 1914. Is going to be my next uh, the next book on the third one, providing I can sell, sell the second one. <laughs> I, I hope I I definitely hope you do because the first one is is a great read, an absolutely great read. I was mm -hmm. um, uh, telling my wife about it this morning before she headed off to work because uh -huh. we we compare notes on the books that we're able to read and. Um, try to pass along good ones that we like and and I told her yeah you really need to read this one it's it's right up your alley you, you'll love it she loves <laughs> strong women strong characters and uh real history so it'd be Julia for that yeah oh yeah yeah well I jokingly told her that I could see her as Julia back then because she's that kind of a personality but Ah, well, that, that's wonderful. You're lucky. <laughs> You're lucky. Yeah, I'm, I'm married to the redhead, uh, and naturally redhead girl, and she's, uh, she's a deli, and I've been so happy with her for 57 years. Oh, wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Both of you. That's, that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, well, she's co-author in a lot of our books, so she does not sit idly by peeling potatoes. Uh, she is. She does that. Uh, uh, besides being, <laughs> being the potato peel, uh, <laughs> although I do cook occasionally, but, but, so that's uh, that's worked out. But anyway, she's a she's a wonderful person, and I'm just so lucky to have her. Well, I I have to tell I I appreciate you taking the time to do this interview with me. Um, I also appreciate the fact that I ran across you that we we were able to connect like this because looking through your your personal library of books that you've written uh there were a number of titles that i i was fascinated by and want to want to jump on and read so what i'm going to do and i'm saying this and and anybody listening 
in the description when I start promoting this podcast in about three or four or five days, I'll have a link to your website. So anybody can go there and read more about uh, A Thread of Sand and your other books and hopefully um, pick up a few and start reading them. Well, I can give them the, uh, the, the address to that right now if you want. Uh, sure, that's fine. I will also have it as a link when I put this out there. So it's it's a click link. But if you want to go ahead and read it off, that'd be great, too. OK, I'll give you two addresses. The first one is our uh, regular company address, and that is www.averilnumeral1.com. That's www.averil one.com. April is uh, French for April. And we always started the company on April 1st after we came back from Paris. So you, you actually started a company on April Fool's Day? Yeah, April Fool's Day. <laughs> Can you beat that? Nope. And th also for the, the book, uh, Thread of Sand, uh, the, I have a website for that too. And that is www. Uh, dot Alan A L A N dash Suter S O U T E R dot com. Okay, so that's an and, easy one. And I will I will have those as uh, clickable links in the description of the podcast. And uh, I noticed you were on Twitter. I just started following you today on Twitter. Um, if you follow me back, you should be able to see when I, I will email you when I'm going to go live with this. Um, but then you can also promote the uh, podcast out to your followers. So oh, I do appreciate that very much. Yeah, that, that, that's a big help. It's, I like podcasts just for the, the average. Most of the time, I don't have to wear any pants. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't stand up during this one. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Uh, uh, Kyle, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's it's been a pleasure talking to you too. Um, I I would love to stay in contact um, as I read through a thread of sand. I I would I may want to come back and see if you want to do another interview and talk more in depth about it. Um, well, a lot of one. the history I want to get into. Well, if you're into history, we've got our, our other book that we're pitching right now. It's called Selling Americans on America. Uh, journey through a troubled nation, and it's about the United States right after World War II, 1946 to 1949. We were in deep trouble, very much like uh, the situation we're in today, uh, and only it was in those days and with those problems. Um, I actually, I that's one of the books that I, I made a note of um, when I was going through your things. Also, uh, the Ghost Army, Conning of the Third Reich. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> that, that just that looked interesting, and and I want to get into that. But I will definitely stay in touch. Look for an email from me. I would say in the next four days, and okay. I'll I'll give you a heads up when this is going live, so you can check it out. But um, I I appreciate meeting you, and I will definitely be in touch. Kyle, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me aboard. Thank you. You have a great rest of the day. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Speak seductively.